0: You have the intellect. You have the wherewithal. You have the smarts. You have the ability. You know, don't you dare doubt yourself just because you're not X, Y, or Z. A lot of our kids are missing hope. And frankly, they're missing exposure to people who look like them, who are out here doing the thing. You know, so I encourage everybody, whatever you look like, if you look like me, if you're out here wearing a hijab, if you have purple hair, you know, whatever it is, if you're whatever normal is, get out there and let kids see you doing what you do so they know they can as well.
1: Empower You podcast is devoted to bringing real world wisdom and encouragement to our listeners. We discuss a multitude of life principles and the process from an economic, cultural, and societal perspective. We believe that through tough conversations and shared wisdom, we can pave the path and leave a ladder for the future. Subscribe to our channel and let us empower you.
0: University of St. Francis Music Technology Bachelor's and Associate's degree programs allow students to focus on the genre and specific area of the music industry that interests them. With concentrations in audio production, audio for video post-production, live sound, music business, and contemporary artist development, there's something for everyone. Here are just a few examples of students' music.
1: to sf.edu to learn more. Welcome to Empower You Podcast. My name is Kid Boy Cooper and I am your host and I'm really glad that you're here. So thank you for spending some time with Empower You Podcast. We have a really incredible uh, interview and uh, I'm really looking forward to sharing it with you guys. Okay, So before we get into uh, who our guest is for this interview, because that's dope. Uh, I'm going to talk to you just a little bit about what we're going to be discussing, if that's cool. Of course it is. All right, so here's the deal. This entire series, this season of Empower You Podcast, we're talking about education. I'm really in an interesting place with education. I think it's super important that we have valuable skill sets and things like that. I'm a skill set guy. I believe that you know you got to be able to put elbow grease to something and create results from it, and that's what gives you more and more value. There's probably some other generational things in that, right? You know, just like the hard work type deal. But I really think that it's important that we have a broad understanding of what education is and what it looks like, um, and what our next steps are in 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 terms of empowering um, the next group, right? The young people. The folks who are coming out of high school, the folks who are still developing, who are listening and watching all the things that we do. And I want them to feel thought of in terms of Empower You Podcast. So today on this episode, we're gonna be talking about the faces of education, all right? Now, some of you may not know this, but um, there's a real lack of diversity in higher ed, right? And there's a whole story behind that, why there aren't as many people in higher ed who are of color, um, and with that whole, you know, uh, a statistic, you have a doctrine behind what it means to be educated and what education looks like on a on a interpersonal level, on a community level, um, and I think as a person of color, as a black man, um, I think it's important that we really combat this idea of what it looks like to be educated or what um, educators look like, or you know what kind of person you gotta be in order to have value in an educational space. Um, I think we gotta talk about this kind of stuff because we're allowing systemic issues to fester beneath the surface if we don't address some of these setbacks our young people are, are running into when they choose or when they want to choose to become more educated or pursue some higher education degrees or understanding. All, of, all right, so there it is. All right, that's that's the premise. But y'all gotta listen to this though. The guest I have for this episode is just absolutely incredible um so not only is she a community activator um and i know some people say activist but i say an activator because she pulls the community into all of the decisions makings that she does she also um, is an architect and uses her architectural uh, design skills to facilitate the uh, reimagining of of urban areas and and distressed um, communities in order to bring new life and enthusiasm into them. She is a devout, uh, a spiritual um, learner and a scholar of her trade and her ability to impact communities through inclusion and through empowerment. Um, And I'm just, I'm thrilled to have her here and she's spending some of her time with us. Um, and I, and I just, I'm super grateful. So, without further ado, I want to uh, bring to the the live feed my friend. I'm gonna call her my friend from now on. Now that she's been on the show, uh, Miss Raina Bradley. How you doing?
0: I'm doing well. I think I need to rewrite my whole LinkedIn profile page now that I've heard that introduction. I'm great. <laughs> How are you, friend? <laughs>
1: I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Thank you so much for being here. I really, really appreciate it, and I'm excited to unpack some of this topic uh, with you. So before we get started, though, before we really get into it, tell me a little bit about you. Tell us a little bit about you, not just the cliff notes, right? Some of the things that you would love for our listeners to know about you.
0: Sure. Um, Well, I think most people know what I do at Bridge of Grace. I'm a community activist or at activator, as you said. Um, but as for me, my own background, I grew up in Southeastern Michigan, just north and west of Detroit. Um, my family was kind of the Brady show. The, what, 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 what do I say? The Cosby show meets the Brady Bunch, right? Um, so a <laughs> blended family um my parents are college educated my mom was the first person in her family to go to college which i think is a tremendous accomplishment um and my father was actually born on a sugar cane plantation to a mom who was likely a sharecropper and became a small business owner from those humble beginnings so i felt like both of my parents lived the american dream and really instilled upon uh, my four sisters and i that we could do the same, that there was nothing that could stop us because there was nothing that stopped them. Um, But that's a little bit about me. People usually ask me like my testimony, my my deep dark, (laughs) you know, about my deep dark history. It's like, man, I, I grew up baking with my mom. I rode my bike with my dad. Uh, I got in trouble for silly stuff like picking up trash on the side of the road because my dad thought I looked homeless and I was a tree hugger. Um, So it was pretty tame. It was pretty tame. But I'm I'm grateful. I'm grateful for that.
1: That's amazing. And, you know, I think um, coming from environments that give you the that give you the levity to be able to just enjoy some of the simple, normal things in life. I think is such a blessing. It is, um, and I think we wrap up blackness with trauma. We wrap up blackness with pain. We wrap up blackness with um, overcoming adversity. Which I think, you know, for black people and other people of color and other people of various backgrounds, that's very much the case. However, we also need to talk about the amount of love that happens in in uh, communities of color. The amount of normalcy that happens in communities of color, the amount of good food that happens in communities of color and all of the hugs and the familial bonds. Um, We don't talk enough about that. So I love the fact that um, you don't need (laughs) and I'll say this, you don't need trauma to be amazing. Wow. You know, your story is still incredible. And I think sometimes we forget that. You don't have to be traumatized i mean we all got something going on right but you don't have to you know got shot three times and dragged <laughs> by vehicles and you know like there's still so much climbing that happens without any of those um without any of those common stereotypes and so uh i love your story i think it's amazing i think it's amazing well thank you so what What brought you to Bridge of Grace?
0: Oh my goodness. Well, I felt called to Bridge of Grace, which sounds like such a weird answer, uh, especially from me. I'm a very logical person. I just want the world to know that (laughs) (laughs) I have a very scientific and technical mind. But I found out about Bridge of Grace um, because I was on an email chain for the Christian Community Development Association. I just attended an event uh, out here in Detroit, which is the area I'm in right now. And um, you know, just thought the organization looked interesting. You know, they were really trying to do some work to uplift community. And I thought to myself, I was consulting at the time, so I was really shopping myself around a bit, you know. And so I thought to myself, they need an architect, they need a designer, they need somebody who can come out there and do urban planning. And I, at that time and still, really felt that my calling in life was to be an architectural missionary, right? So I wanted to share the good news and gospel of Christ, you know, really that people should love God and love one another and to acquire design to equip them with skills to make their communities the places they wanted to be, you know, make them places that were beautiful, make them places that were safe, make them places that were loving, because I felt like if you take a discipleship approach toward design, then you make communities that can thrive from the inside out where all the skills you need are right there embedded within it. Um, so given that uh, and given that i was consulting i just threw a resume at them because they were looking for an education programs coordinator um ironically enough (laughs) and i uh got on an interview and they were like why do you want to be our education programs coordinator and i said i don't you know i I, I (laughs) i don't want to be your education programs coordinator but i see what you're doing you understand broken windows theory. You understand this notion that mm. small changes can make big differences and that the built environment can really change behavior and culture and outcomes. And I wanna help you yeah. do that work. Uh, so they actually hired me still to be, uh, they called it their community development coordinator. We changed the title. I'm now the community development director. Um, but
1: I, like it.
0: I still relaunched all the education programs because they needed somebody to do that. But then I had the opportunity to help really uh, flesh out and create the vision for community development, a bridge of grace.
1: Right. I love that. Yeah. that's incredible. So God was, really it it's... took
0: a year. It took a year, but
1: a year, we finally got no. there. That's awesome. I like how you said that. Like, I don't, I mean, I don't really want to, you know, I want to do this specific thing. I think sometimes I, we can often lack that boldness to just say what we want. Um, well, it's so easy when your
0: bills are paid and you don't need <laughs> a job. I mean, to well, be to be honest, if somebody out there where you really need that job, you might not want to take that approach. But um, right. in that case, the boldness, it, it worked out for me.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I get that. I get that. That's amazing. That's amazing. So um, I feel like you know, my understanding or my, or my awareness of you just came from seeing you synonymous with so many unique and cool projects happening in Fort Wayne. Uh, I didn't know where you came from. I feel like I remember the first Creative Mornings I saw you do. Uh, do you know Krista Dene? Do you remember Krista Dene?
0: Yes, of course. I remember Krista. I
1: met yes. her at that Creative Mornings event. Yes, yes. Okay, so Krista Dene uh, passed away. She was an mm-hmm. incredible woman. Um, Beautiful uh, she, Yes, and she had roped me into coming to A Creative Morning. I was like, I don't know who this young lady is. But we were all a part of this text thread, and she was just like, you need to come see Reina." I was like, all right, all right, I'm going. All right, I'm going. And then ever since then, I was like, well, that was amazing. And so I've just kind of followed your work ever since then. And you just never... Everything your name is on is something really cool. And so I'm so glad that you... Um, took the time to to sit down and talk with us about this because I think it's a really great topic, and um, from someone with such an astute background who deals so much in community, who 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 deals so much with um, you know educated and profound or, or well connected people, mm. um, I think it's really important your perspective on what education looks like and how we perceive it. Um, and the impact that it has on communities, Mm -hmm. um, especially on um, low income and and, uh, BIPOC communities as well. um, Because we know there is a a consistent and systematic uh, lack of education, lack of access, lack of quality mentorship, which is why Empower You Podcast exists. Um, And so um, I think it's important that we talk about this. These are principles that can be applied across a lot of um, communities Um, but I want to make sure that you know the little black boys and girls who I often felt like and feel like are remembered Um, because I remember being like that and not knowing who to talk to and Mm. feeling very lost in the world and not knowing what to do Um, and a lot of young people who don't have that you know they just kind of find other things to do and sometimes it's not super productive. And so uh I think it's good that we that we talk about this and you work with a lot of uh diverse young people, which is beautiful. Uh and so I think it's awesome. I think it's awesome. So thank you. Absolutely. My first question to you is is what was your first impression of education? Um you said you came from a, a really stable, normal amazing family. Um so what was the, what was the dialogue around education growing up?
0: Oh my goodness, education growing up was a given. It was just a given. Like I, that's how I remember feeling. Um in my my normal household, I don't know what normal means, you know, normal is whatever you grew up in, right? That's your normal. Right. Um, yeah, absolutely. But for me, you know, I just felt like education was a given. That I was expected it was my job to come home and bring in good grades. That was my job. You know, even there were times when I said, you know, I want to get a job because my friends would get jobs and they would buy the cool, you know, filas or the hush puppies with the suede, (laughs) you know, the coach belts with the tags still on it. So, you know, it's authentic and whatnot. And I kind (laughs) of coveted that a little bit at times because my friends looked cool and I was a nerd. Um, I would have been, still been a nerd with the filas though, that's okay. That's uh, all right. But, <laughs> um, and segue. My sister told me being a nerd was cool, and I believed her because I thought she was cool. Uh, so thanks to big sis for that. Uh, she told me. She said, you know, people twenty years out of school. What do you call a nerd? And I was like, I don't know. She said they call them boss baby, boss.
1: Oh, uh, I love that. I almost said millionaire.
0: <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So, but to bring it back, um, it just it felt like a given. they told my parents told me you know you don't need to work to get that it's your job to go and get these grades because what i need you to do is earn a scholarship for college uh so college also felt like a given you know i told my mom one year i wanted to do a gap year and travel the world she said no you will not (laughs) your gap will be your summer and you will go straight to school uh so it, it was a mandate but by the same token looking around myself I mean, like I said, my mom went to college. She actually graduated uh, when I was maybe five or so. So there are photos of me with her in her cap and gown, you know, so that was a part of our family, like folklore. Uh, My father went to pharmacy school at a time when Ferris State only graduated one black pharmacist per year. That was kind of their quota because they didn't want to graduate too many because that might bring down their cachet, right? Yeah. So he graduated on time, amen, um, at that oh, time. Man. And, uh, you know, so I had two college educated parents. When I looked out my window or rode my bike around our neighborhood, I saw people who looked like me. Our neighborhood was black and Jewish primarily. Mm. And I saw uh-huh. people who were doctors, who were lawyers, who were engineers, who were newscasters, teachers, etc. And most of them looked like me. You know, most of them looked like me. When I went to my friends' houses, they would all tell us, oh, when so-and-so grows up, like, look at her. She looks like she's going to be a model. But they would always look at my <laughs> nerdy <laughs> self and say, Raina's going to be a, a doctor. Raina's going to be a judge. Raina's very studious, you know? And so that is what was sewn into me uh, yeah. growing up. So education was something I'm, I know I know I'm. know you can feel my privilege, but it, it was something that was a given. It was something that was expected of me and something that was very much the norm uh for my folks and for the friends that i had around me uh, just given our our geography and where we were
1: i love that and and i want to say this uh because you mentioned it um you know i it is a privilege to 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 be in an environment that's empowering it's a privilege to to, to to exist in a society where things are possible and I don't feel like you should be ashamed of that thank um, you and I don't think anybody should be ashamed of that I don't think privilege
0: you're right I mean my, my parents worked hard to I, give me that
1: absolutely they worked absolutely. extremely hard
0: for that so I'm, I'm grateful absolutely
1: I'll and, say it that and, way I'm
0: grateful for it
1: and what makes privilege real in my opinion is the way that you use it Um, and the seeds that you sow with it. And for anybody listening, you know, um, what you do with the advantage or disadvantage that you're presented with in life, that's what tells the story about you.
0: Absolutely.
1: Whether, Whether you understand the unique position that you didn't necessarily do anything to be put in, but that you're very grateful for. When you understand that and you understand that that comes with further commitments to help others. I, I think we need to reframe some of that, that the privilege talk, um, because I don't think there's anything wrong with having a, a, a great opportunity. It's just, you gotta be mindful and do good by other people as well. So anyway, I'll jump off that soapbox. I wanna know, so what, what were some of the, um, the career path that interested you, right? You said you're an architect, but you also said that people said that you should like run for office and that you were gonna be, uh, uh, you know, like a scientist or a nerd or, or or you were gonna be a dignitary or a scholar in some way. Like who were some of the, how did you choose your career path and who were some of the scholars you looked up to?
0: Sure, so I still might run for office, uh, stay tuned. But- <laughs> Come on
1: now, do it,
0: But do um- it. You know, depending on how far back you want to look, when I was very young, I wanted to be everything. You know, I wanted to be a nurse, I wanted to be a doctor. I wanted to be a ballerina and a cowgirl too. And my parents bought me both the cowgirl hat and the tutu and let me run around the house in that. Um, but, you know, when I went to high school, I went to a college prep school in Detroit. Um, well, in Metro Detroit, uh, for those who want to be sticklers about a mile and whatnot. Um, And I felt when I was in high school that there were kind of three paths to success. You know, either you're a doctor, you're a lawyer, you're an engineer, and that's it. Um, And my personal habit was to test things out. And my parents, like I said, tutu, hat, they encouraged me to test anything out. Try it, see if you like it, see what you think about it. Go ahead and do it. Um, that's how I ended up both Tad dancing and making model rockets as a kid. Right. <laughs> so, um, I tried out debate cause that was the closest thing I could think of to law. And I didn't, I didn't care for it. You know, I liked the social component of it, but it wasn't really about who presented the best argument or who was creative or who was thoughtful. It was about these real technicalities. And I didn't enjoy that. You know, I just felt like this isn't my shtick. And then, uh, when it comes to medicine cats on formaldehyde, uh, were not my thing. like, <laughs> And I learned that I learned that. So I was leaning toward engineering. I was leaning toward engineering. Um, but I have a certain love for the arts. Um, this piece behind me, that's something I drew, you know, it's so it's like, I love drawing. I love painting. I love making things. I love working with my hands at the time. I really loved metals. I was in band. Um, And so I started learning about architecture mostly because of my tree-hugging tendencies. I took an AP environment course because I was into it. And I learned that buildings consume something like 40% of the energy that we consume, that buildings put off some ridiculous amount of the pollution that we put off. I realized that a third of my class, including myself, had lung disease because of our environment and the air quality in Detroit. You know, I had a teacher ask us, what color the sky was, and then walk us outside to see if it was really blue, and it wasn't. You know, and learning that that was because of our built environment. So I felt like, okay, buildings matter. You know, our, the way we grow up, the places we grow up in, they matter. And rich or poor, you know, that air—the air is not clean. It's going to be dirty for everybody. You know, you can't make that not affect your body and your person. Um, So in that class, in Mr. Minton's AP environment class, I decided that I was gonna pursue an architecture degree. Um, And I felt a little better about it than engineering because in architecture, you have room for creativity. You have room for thought. You know, one plus one equals two, yes. And I feel like an engineer, you kind of stop there unless you're in a really special setting. But in architecture, it's like, yes, one plus one equals two, three, minus one equals two, two to the first power equals two, you know, whatever to the log rhythm of such and such equals two. And as long as you can understand those skills and can wrap your head around a problem, you can come up with any number of solutions and they're all correct or they have some degree of correctness to them. And I loved that, I loved that. So I uh, I decided to study architecture because I wanted to make a difference. And then i made sure i went to a university that still offered law (laughs) and still offered medicine and still offered engineering just in case i changed my mind it still kind of felt daunting at 16 17 to to have to decide what you're supposed to do with the whole rest of your life um so i assumed i was like if i if i don't stick to architecture i want to make sure that i can transition my major without transitioning schools altogether yeah but um But I I went to school and I loved it. I couldn't imagine studying anything
1: else. That's amazing. That's amazing. And I think you said buildings matter. Um, When you said that, it just kind of took me back a little bit, you know, because more so than just the pollution that we get from buildings, the appearance of buildings um, can cause you to feel certain ways about yourself. Especially the things you grow up seeing, and so um, when you said that, I was like, "Wow!" I mean, that's think so about true. it. The first
0: question people ask you, maybe the third, second or third, is, "Where are you from? Where are you yeah. from? Where do you live?" You know. So you internalize that. You Absolutely. internalize that. That is a part of your identity. So when you're from a place that's hoity-toity and well-to-do, and you can say, oh, "I'm from." you know, Beverly Hills, such and such, you know, that carries a certain cachet. But um, when you say I'm from this neighborhood or that neighborhood, and it doesn't carry that cachet, people treat you differently. They treat Mm -hmm. you in accordance to what they think your stock is worth, your social capital is worth based on that neighborhood. And I felt that, sorry, Fort Wayne folks, I felt it when I moved to Fort Wayne. Because I didn't tell anybody I grew up in Southfield, Michigan. Where's Southfield? Nobody knows that (laughs) in Indiana. So I said, I'm from Detroit. Then I did spend time living and working in Detroit. And when I would say I'm from Detroit, I would get, oh, oh, you know, oh, you're from Detroit. I I never want to go there. Why not? It's a great place to be. I love Detroit. You know, but then I would say I'm from Detroit and I live in Southeast Fort Wayne. And I didn't know what that meant either when I moved to the city. Mm. And I had people say, oh, you don't live Southeast, Southeast. And I, I didn't know what Southeast, Southeast meant. So I was, where, what, mm. what intersection? Oh, I'm like on, you know, Pettit and such and such. Oh, oh, that is Southeast. And I literally had some people turn their full backs to me during conversation. When I said, I moved here from Detroit and I lived in Southeast, I was no longer worthy, right? So when people, when you think about where someone's from that deeply colors, I think how they feel about themselves and, frankly, how other people treat you. And so that's part of why I feel like having a solid built environment around you, having the place around you um, be up to a certain standard of quality, of excellence, not having vacancy, not having vandalism, not having broken windows and people treating your neighborhood like it's a trash can because they're dumping their tires and mattresses in it like I think all of that is a should be like a basic fundamental human right. Beauty and beautiful environments and safe environments should be a human right. But when we don't talk about the pollution as well, we can also talk about the lead that's in Fort Wayne's pipes and solder in southeast Fort Wayne.
1: Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh oh
0: we can talk about that (laughs) or the mold that's in some of the walls in in our low income neighborhoods that people may not want to complain about because they don't want to upset a landlord um we have some we have some issues family just a couple and these Mm. things to get back to education all hinder one's ability to focus one's ability to have their brain functioning well, one's ability to physically breathe well and get the oxygen that they need. And if you have people in toxic environments, how do you expect them to function well throughout the day? They're they're, from the children to the adults exhausted all day long. And yes, because you work hard and yes, because you're hustling, but also because you're literally living in what most design professionals will call a sick building.
1: Mm. Thanks for listening to empower you podcast. I want to take a second and tell you about a service I've been using that has literally changed my life. Akita Ricks, the founder of Sawyerscore.com, helped me erase negative items on my credit score, provided me a clear path to improving my credit and raised my score by a hundred points in the first 90 days. Like, Whoa, the best part about all of this is all I had to do was follow instructions. Now, if you're like me and you need a credit bestie, you need to click the link below and schedule your absolutely free discovery call today. Tell them Kidboy sent you. Wow, you said so many things. You said that, you know, when people ask you where you're from and then you tell them, depending on where it is, that impacts the way that they view you and they impact it impacts the value that you they feel like you bring to an environment. And I think children from a very early uh-huh. age are very impacted by the way people feel about them, especially yes. from certain environments. They take, they, they take everything personally. They feel like I'm bad because I live here, and that's why people treat me bad, and that's why bad things happen to my family.
0: Mm.
1: Because I'm bad, mm. and we're bad, and we live here. And if we were good, we wouldn't live here. And because I'm bad, I probably shouldn't try to get an education. I probably mm. shouldn't try to do anything else because we're just all bad and this is our plight. And I think that narrative continues to get reinforced. That's why I have just so much respect for what you do um, because I grew up in an environment that there were a lot of areas to this day that are just completely overgrown, completely torn down, completely vandalized, completely a mess. And somebody owns those properties, Right. right? but there's no reason to do anything with it there's no investment there because they feel like you're not worth it you know when when there's more gentrification or when there's more business development or when there's more whatever then i'll care enough to just not pay my taxes on the lot does that make sense and
0: because nobody's holding them accountable to do anything about it right um oh Some folks are overachievers and they'll get out there and they'll take some initiative and they'll make their homes beautiful regardless of what's happening around them. I think the fact of the matter is, especially with a lot of landlords, um, unfortunately a lot of them don't live in our communities, right? So, I mean, we've seen examples in Mount Vernon Park, the neighborhood I work in, of landlords who live outside of this city, outside of this state, and frankly, outside of this country. We have landlords from New Zealand, in Mount Vernon Park. So (laughs) the landlord in New Zealand doesn't know what that property looks like, and they are not gonna care until someone holds them accountable to it. Do they know the condition of the sidewalk? No. Do they know the condition of the siding? Probably not, you know? um, And like I said, a lot of renters are gonna be afraid to mention anything, but also our, I feel like our municipality, our government also needs to have a role in holding folks accountable, you know. Yeah. So right now, what you can do, sidewalks, for example, if your sidewalks aren't in proper condition, or your neighbor's sidewalk, if you don't want it to be you, is your, if your neighbor's sidewalk is not in in great condition, you can call three one one and say this sidewalk is a trip hazard, and three one one will issue a letter to the homeowner saying, hey, your sidewalk's not in great condition, we're not going to be liable if someone gets hurt. And the yeah. 50-50 cost share program is available to you if you want to to repair your sidewalk. Um yeah. So I think if no one's holding you accountable, what incentive do you have to fix it? If it's just a number on your spreadsheet. Right? Um but the other thing yeah. is for homeowners. When you when people around you begin to fix things up and address properties, usually you see the whole neighborhood begin to change. Nobody yeah. wants to be the worst house on the block. Nobody right. wants to be in that situation. And no landlord wants their property to be the worst one on the because and they can't command the rent that they think they should be able to. Um, Absolutely. So just mobilizing a few key people, a few key properties and eliminating the worst ones can really push, uh, really, really push the standard. Um, But getting back to what you said earlier, that idea of different people kind of receiving education differently. You know, a friend of mine, uh, if he's watching this, hi Steve, (laughs) once (laughs) forwarded
1: me
0: an article from Edutopia, and the headline of it was, the spatially gifted, our future architects and engineers are being overlooked, uh, though they have potential to excel in many fields We're neglecting a large body of students. And it basically went on to say that kids with strong spatial skills um, often tend to dislike school, have trouble paying attention in class, and compared to kids with more pronounced math or verbal talents, they're more likely to be suspended, leave high school without a degree, and get in trouble with the law. You know, and it's not because they're not intelligent children. It's because they think differently. They think three-dimensionally. They think in pictures and things of this nature. And my friend, uh, he was teasing me. He's like, oh, I'm sure glad you're not in jail, Reina," You know? <laughs> but I told him, I sent him an email back, like, do you know how easily that could have been me? Do you know how easily that could have been me? Because when um, I was in third grade, which is you know, the year they used to make those prison projections, um, I was intensely bored in class.
1: Yeah.
0: I was intensely bored. My grades worked phenomenal. Um, but I was lucky again to have like these two folks in my corner who said, yeah. no, no, no. <laughs> when I tested well and, and my teacher actually said, no, 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 just because she tested well in the state standardized thing doesn't mean she's smart enough to go to the honors classes. My parents yeah. said, oh, no, 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 we're not having this. We want you to talk to our daughter, we want you to talk to our daughter, we want you to talk to her. She's a smart kid. She can do it. She can pull her weight. Um, and so they made that push. You know, and then when my wow. folks saw our, and it was so different. I went from regurgitation and just, how do you spell this word? This is how you spell this word. What color was someone's else's first? This is what color, like who cares? I didn't even care when I was eight. But when <laughs>
1: I went into,
0: honors classes, you know, at nine, the ripe old age of nine, all of a sudden we were building dioramas. We were making model volcanoes. We were doing model rockets. We were, you know, all of a sudden it was three-dimensional and it was spatial and my mind latched onto it and I got it and it was more creative. Um, So I feel like there's, that's a huge need too, right? To make sure that there's not just one type of education that we meet our kids who have different skill sets and different minds where they are and that we don't make it so that they can only obtain those resources based upon what zip code they were born in
1: right and and you know and and that leads me even into to what i was gonna ask you it's like what do you feel like is the missing link there right is it access is it teaching uh, models and, and different formats of, of, of introducing more complex or more uh, uh, subject matters or topics or information to young people is it um, just an access issue issue is it a zip code issue like what do you feel like the missing piece is because you're you're in it right? right not only do you work for an organization that 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 gets. Funding and to do these projects, but you yourself come from those environments, which even with the amount of um, uh, a support that you had from your family, could have easily swallowed you up and told. it had your parents not been as proactive in your life, right? You know, you could have received those same "I'm dumb, I'm not good at this stuff" messages and completely had a different life, even from. Uh, uh, coming from an environment that was supportive of your betterment. So what do you feel like that missing link is? You know, when you look over these kids or you look into, you know, these young people, what what do you feel like f- just in your opinion? Uh, nobody has to be right about everything, but what what do you think?
0: I mean, it's, it's soft and fuzzy as it might feel. I mean, access does matter. Money does matter, zip code does matter. But I feel like one of the biggest missing elements is just plain old hope. You know, what are our kids hoping for? What future are they hoping for? Um, I've met kids who told me what they wanted to be when they grew up, when they were 14 years old. You know what I mean? They already had a dream. They already gave up by 14. Why does that make any sense? You know, and when I asked them, well, why did you, why are you saying wanted? Why are you saying wanted? Like, explain that to me. And they said, well, because my parents have debt. They tried to go to college. Mm. It didn't work out. They have all this debt and they don't have a degree, and I don't want to be in that situation. And that's a logical response to that situation.
1: That's super logical.
0: Um, When I first came to Bridge of Grace and started my first after-school program, this is why I said the kids found me, I didn't find them. I had two little girls who just came across the street and would sit and stare at me after school. You know, (laughs) Bridge of Grace is right across the street from Levon Scott Academy, love that school, hardworking teachers. But these little girls would come and sit and stare. And so I was just like, okay. So I started coming come up with stuff for them to do because they were at my desk every day. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and I finally cut a like, deal with them to say, hey, if you come here just once a week, only once a week, I'll come up with some cool programming for us. You know, so we started doing character building, career exposure, creativity, kind of the things that I would love to do as a kid. And they dug it too. But, um, <clears throat> you know, I started asking them like, why? You know, they always saying you're different. You talk different, you look different. I didn't, and I didn't know, like I said, I was normal to me. I didn't know what that meant. And so finally I asked one of them, I was like, sweetheart, what do I, what do I look like? Cause she kept saying, "You, you dress different. I was like, what do I dress like? And she said, you dress like a very busy lady. And I was like,
1: oh, (laughs) That's a lovely description.
0: Okay, okay. You know, and I kind of put the two and two together. I was like, okay, I'm an oddity because I'm here in a suit and I'm typing on a computer and I'm building a house on my computer. And why am I building that house on my computer? And is that that house across the street? And you know, why do you answer the phone like that? You know, these are all things I grew up, I grew up playing with my dad's payroll (laughs) machine, you know? I grew up, you know, how many grooves, how many numbers can I put in the thing? You know, I grew up put literally with a a pill counter because that's what my parents did. I grew up typing because they used computers and because there's no child labor laws for family, you know, (laughs) (laughs) so I grew up working in the pharmacy. I grew up seeing my parents look professional every day and my neighbors look professional every day. Our little girls, those two little girls weren't seeing that. And so they started coming and checking me out. So I think, you know, seeing me, seeing someone that looked like them in a position that was like that, was different Mm -hmm. for them and it made them feel like that kind of job was reachable and tangible to them. It didn't feel out of reach anymore, right? And I was fortunate enough to grow up in a place where nothing, literally nothing felt out of reach to me. But for some of our kids, the only outcome they see of college is debt. So that's not a hopeful path to follow. Um, And if you don't, if you only think, you know, thinking back to my own history, again, the National Building Museum, when I was at Howard, um, (laughs) H-U, there was a time (laughs) when I was tutoring kids at the National Building Museum, you know, and we were preparing them for this competition called School of the Future. And one of my classmates uh, had a group of students where the students asked once they came to presentation time, oh, you know, are any kids in white schools gonna be here? And he looked at them and said, well, maybe, but why does that matter? Get off! <laughs> and yeah. uh, the kids' response was, well, if a white school's gonna be there, we already know we're not gonna win. And Ooh. my friend lit into this kid in the best way possible. You know, in yeah. the best way possible. How dare you speak that yeah. way of yourself? It doesn't matter who's in this competition. If you've given it your best because you have the intellect, you have the wherewithal, you have the smarts, you have the ability. You know, don't you dare doubt yourself just because you're not X, Y, or Z. You know, so I think a lot of our kids are missing hope and frankly, they're missing exposure to people who look like them, who Mm -hmm. are out here doing the thing. You know, so I encourage Mm -hmm. everybody, whatever you look like, if you look like me, if you're out here wearing a hijab, if you have purple hair, you know, whatever it is, if you're whatever Absolutely. normal is, you know, get out there and let kids see you doing what you do so they know they can as
1: well. Absolutely. That's that's so big because, you know, we get all kinds of images, right? Um, you get all kinds of images about who you are. The media, the, the society in general will try to tell you who you are before you even have enough information to know yourself right and so um i i I couldn't agree with you more with that one you know it's as far as like be visible be seen um and do good don't be visible and be seen for validation Mm. be visible and be seen because no matter where you're at, you have something to give and you should understand that enough to give.
0: Do it for our Um, future.
1: Yeah. Do it
0: for our future and do it so that the kids will know you care. You know, I have a lot of friends like yourself who are out here doing phenomenal work, you know, and they don't always get credit. (laughs) They don't always get credit for their work and their ideas. Sometimes they do, but sometimes they don't. And they'll say, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I'm not doing it so people see me. I'm doing it because it'll benefit our community. It's like, but I want, I want my kids to see you. I want them to see your face. And I want them to know that something happened in their community. Not, and not to say that everybody shouldn't do good, but not just because someone else did it for them or someone benevolently, charitably gave to the community out of the goodness of their heart, which keep doing that. (laughs) It matters, but I want them to know it happened because someone who is from the community cared, the community itself cared. And because someone from the community put in the work and sweat and blood and tears to get it done, you know, because that tells them my place, my whole community cares about me and they care enough to make it work and I can do that too. I don't have to wait for the benevolent Billionaire.
1: It's a common saying. Benevolent and billionaire. Ooh. <laughs> and and I think it dispels a lot of the a lot of the thoughts that you'll have about yourself, right? Um, you can grow up with a lot of narratives running in your head about what it looks like for you to be different than what you are, and because you only know what you are, it can be hard for you to re- to break free of certain mm. cycles and things. Um, And I think about this, especially as it pertains to education and environment. You know, when people don't see, when children don't see, when young people don't see the non-traditional person winning, the person who looks like them winning, the person who has a similar background to them winning, they internalize this idea that because no one else did it, I can't either. And so they don't go pursue things that they might be absolutely great at. And then on top of that, I think especially in in, uh, communities of color, we battle with this idea of what it means to be educated. You know, we sometimes can hold education synonymous with selling out, right? We hold education synonymous with not having a voice in your community anymore. We hold uh, education synonymous with uh, losing all your swag or something. You know what I'm saying? And I think I think when you give back when you put yourself intentionally in environments where you can pour into um communities and and into young people um you're you're retraining the narrative that's in their mind you're you're encouraging them to to believe something better about themselves and i think that's really hard to do because from the moment we wake up and you check your phone, and I try not to check my phone right away when I wake up, but sometimes. Don't do it. it. I'm telling you, sometimes it gets me. Um, but from that moment, you have someone else's voice and ideas in your head about you and what you should be doing with your life and where you should be going and how you should be acting. And so I think, you know, when you said visibility is important, um, that's why I value. You know, I wish somebody would have made some cool stuff out of the the, the vacant lots. I, you know, I grew up around, um, and those I internalized that stuff. You know, I internalized, I felt like I was a part of my environment, and therefore I was less. Hmm. Mm-hmm. That I required less investment. Wow. That it was it was okay for people to not invest in me or to not maybe take that you disturbed less. Yeah. Yeah. And so I took it upon myself to constantly have to prove everything all the time. So much so now that even when there's absolutely nothing to prove, I can't, like, chill. You know what I mean? It's it's kind of weird. You know, that's why I, I just think it's amazing what you do. And I think this conversation is so important because we got to put faces to these, these, these projects, to these um, higher thinking and higher strategic learning, higher skill sets. Um, And we shouldn't have to wait for the benevolent billionaire, right? There's so many uh, resources within our own communities that we just leave untapped because we're afraid to be different. You know, we're afraid because we don't see anybody like Raina. We don't see anybody like others. We, you know what I mean? Like you're an oddity. So like when you talk about those those little girls who are just like enamored with you, so much so that all they can do is stare. Like, mm. What do you think they think about on a daily basis?
0: You know, I mean, the thing is they, so those two in particular who started that program, uh, they have phenomenal parents. You know, they may not look like mm. busy people, but they're phenomenal parents and they're pushing their kids so, that first little girl I've met when I first moved here and I was in 2015, I just ran into her. She's 16, she has a job. Oh, wow. She plans to wow. go to Ohio wow. State. Um, oh and she made sure to let me know that she posts things about Jesus on her Facebook.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, good so for her. So people know
0: her faith and, and can come to that through her. So incredibly proud of her, incredibly proud of her. And I was just one part yeah. of, of her village, right? that's Um, amazing and her little sister she told me she just got a job and is also really starting to think about what she's going to to do when she goes to college as well um so those two are doing phenomenal i'm super proud of them um Mm. but i also want to say just what you what you alluded to earlier when we talked about what does education look like in the black community i think that's important because education having a piece of paper having a degree and being intelligent are not the same thing necessarily right mm. having it doesn't it sure make you isn't. more intelligent not having it doesn't make you any less intelligent or deserving um, and one of the points of tired a lot which is the vacant lot project you were talking about uh, where we had kids be the designers of the vacant lots in our community um, the, one of the points of that was to change the perspective you know, of the neighborhood. Yes, it can grow and change. Yes, it can get better. Yes, our our community can be the catalyst of those change, of that change, but I wanted people to know that, specifically our young people, because I think the young people in particular get a bad rap, you know, millennials are ruining everything and the people behind them are ruining everything else. Uh, But you know, people would come up to me, oh, Reyna, you know, what are the kids gonna design next year? And I was like, I don't know, they haven't done it yet. Well, you can't tell me they designed the such and such and it wasn't one person i had multiple individuals come up to me and say they couldn't believe literally that our kids came up with what they came up with and it was like no, no no our children are brilliant you know so that project was also showing off to the rest of this community Man. if you just invest the time if you just require a certain standard. No one rises to lowered expectations, right? If you yeah. just require a certain standard, let the kids know you believe in them, provide the support and framework they need, they can do anything. They can do absolutely anything. Um, our kids designed and painted a whole mural in five days. You know? <laughs> and I had a counselor who was like, you expect them to finish a mural in five days? And I was like, yes, and if we're gonna hire you, I'm gonna need you to think they can do that. <laughs> too. Um, and when it ended, she was like, wow, these kids can really do anything. They can accomplish anything. They can. They're brilliant. They're brilliant. And some of them may go off to get degrees. And that's wonderful. And they'll still be brilliant. And some of them might not. And that doesn't make them any less brilliant, you know, and there are careers yeah. out here where you can do well. Um, Absolutely. Ha- pick up a computer, learn how to code. You know, do that. And you can still have a great living you can have a meaningful life you can have hope and a bright future i just you know that's what i want our kids to know is that you have a brilliant mind you have a brilliant mind just decide what you're passionate about what do you want to change about this world and go do that and don't let fear get in your way
1: and that's that's a big thing you know because i think um, being afraid to 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 leave your environment being afraid to go to an institution where, you know, none of your professors and none of the people who you looked up to or who are in authority figures, most of them are not of color and they're not black. They're not, you know, they're just, they're just not like you. And so you feel like you constantly are trying to prove that you belong somewhere or you're always trying to, um, you're always on your guard because you're just, you, there's this, this feeling you have, you know, and maybe, maybe I'm tripping, but I know, you know, you really feel pressure to not be that guy, mm. you know, to not be the stupid black kid. Wow. You know, to not be the slow black kid. Wow. Like, Man. I'm just, I'm being real. You know, I think that's that's something that a lot of young people uh, are facing right now. Wow. You know, and, and as as you watch the changes that happen in higher ed, um, a lot of people don't say it, like there's a guy Uh, he's trying to put together this uh, black men's group uh, on campus and uh, he's a good dude you know he's got a great initiative he's like man I just can't I can't seem to engage them and I said well what's their biggest problem what's the pain point that they're all experiencing and so we sat there and we were just kind of chit-chatting and, and talking. And he said, I think it's loneliness. Mm. I said, what you mean? Wow. He said, even though, you know, these are athletes and stuff like that, they stay so sequestered because the moment they leave these environments where they're validated, they just become incredibly lonely. Right. And so they, they don't engage in anything that's not pre-approved so to speak right because they just don't know if they'll actually fit in in any of those places enough to actually be vulnerable about it and these are men he's talking about too yeah so i just think that's that's encouraging that from a youth from the time you're young that you know you can do things and that you you matter and that um any place is a place for you yeah whether it's higher education or whatever room you want to be in you know, that's that's a whole different mindset than a yes. lot of people grow up with. And so, um, you know, I just think it's really amazing. Like,
0: And HBCUs are a thing, right? Now, now I'm not saying everybody has to go to one, but right. at Howard University, I was not gonna feel like the dumb black kid. Oh. <laughs> I didn't feel like that yeah. in, in high school either. If anyone, I was the one who wouldn't shut up and raise my hand a little too much,
1: but... <laughs> uh, <laughs> that girl, you know, I was that girl.
0: (laughs) I was, I'm okay with that Nerds of the world unite, but uh, (laughs) Mm -hmm. I, you know, I feel like at a lot of black institutions, one thing they do is they, unfortunately, uh, a lot of schools and underserved communities and lower income communities where a lot of people of color are, don't provide the same quality of education as other schools, Mm -hmm. but in a lot of HBCUs, Mm -hmm. You come in with classes that are meant to catch you up. You know, there's an mm-hmm. understanding that not everybody has the same starting point, you know, and that could be based on the state you live in or, yeah. like I said, your zip code, your income, what have you. And so the classes Ooh. are there. They'll place you and they're there to catch you up. The tutors look like you. A lot of the teachers look like you and they that whole infrastructure is there such that by the time you get to sophomore year junior year, you're there with everybody else. You know, it's yeah. built in. Um, so it's it's very welcoming, it's very loving, but I also wanted to say thank God for your friend and that support group he's about to put together. Um, thank God yeah. for that because sometimes it just takes one person to believe in somebody and to say, you can do it for that person's That's life it. to change. You know, my mom grew up impoverished and yeah. she had a teacher and one book <laughs> and that book was Little Women, where she said, I could picture something different. And someone believed in me that I could go after it. And she yeah. did. My father had his stepmom, uh, and she believed in him and said, Oh no, 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 you're not gonna enroll in Woodshop and gym and, and this, that, and the other. We're gonna take advanced typing, and we're gonna do this, and we're gonna do that. And I believe firmly that you can do all of it. You know, so one individual yeah. saying, I see you. You can do it. Um, my folks, I heard every single day growing up, my nerdy self, that I was beautiful. <laughs> I should show you photos of what I looked like at five. It was a hot mess. Glasses, you know, braces, a <laughs> whole bit. But I heard every day. <laughs> you couldn't tell my nerdy self nothing. I was beautiful. I was so smart and that they loved me. You know, every day, you know, Yeah. from at least... By the time I was three until at least like ninth grade, you know, by that point, you know, I started doing what I do. Maybe they didn't think I was always beautiful by that point. Uh, maybe I had an attitude, probably did. I was a teenager.
1: But, <laughs> and we all um, go through it.
0: <laughs> if you instill those values early, they stick. And I felt like yeah. for me, Howard, um, that felt like family to me. You know, my professors felt like they were my uncles, my classmates felt like those were my cousins. Um, And we were all there together. And I was afraid of being lonely at Howard because my private school friends said, oh, you're going to a black school? Like you're going to fit in there? I fit in fine because there's such a diaspora of black people. We're from all over this world. We listen to all kinds of music. We wear all kinds of clothing, have different personalities. You know what I mean? There's so much richness in that culture where, you know, it was fantastic. I would walk across the yard and hear steel drums. I would walk into the cafe and hear people beating out, you know, some kind of rap on a table. It was glorious. It was glorious. (laughs) So um, I think it's incredibly important to find your group, to find those people who support you, um, to surround yourself with people who are doing well, not to be afraid of that. Uh Ah, because in band, you know, you Mm -hmm. sit the first chair next to the last chair and next thing you know, the last chair is challenging the first chair. So put yourself in proximity to the people who are doing well, but um, it's absolutely okay to seek out an environment that supports you and it's absolutely okay to ask for help, especially if you're in college because you are paying for it. You have already paid for those tutors, you have already paid for those professor's office hours, you know, you're the boss. Yeah. Now, don't go act a fool because i said that but you're the boss
1: <laughs> you're in charge of your
0: education at that point so yeah that that act with that authority
1: go get that it That ownership is a different it's a different uh it's a different vibe uh i know for <laughs> i know for me you know when i was in school you know my my constant stressor was was how am i going to stay here mm. You know, how am I gonna afford this? Like, so I was mm. working all the time, you know? And so um, I get, cause I didn't have the, the benefit of going to, you know, um, a historically black college. Um, I'm glad I went to the school I, I went to. It was, it was a great school and it helped me do a lot of things. And more importantly, it really allowed me to develop a sense of, of strength, a, a sense of independence, Resilience, of yeah. Resilience, because I realized it was lonely. I realized I only had me to lean on, and not that that's the road for everyone. But I think what you said about um, about community and, and needing to find your community, I think that's really important, um, especially for young people. Like your your faculty and people may not look like you. Your teachers may not look like you, but put yourself in proximity to the kind of people you want to be around, whether that's somebody's book club, whether that's somebody's chess club and you don't play chess, but that's where all the kind of people you want to hang out are. Mm-hmm. Go to the chess club. You know, insert yourself in the path of greatness. Don't wait for anybody to open the door.
0: Right.
1: Don't wait for anybody to to, to help you. Like, they're not. Sometimes they will. Sometimes. But but in in other cases, you know, at least in mine, and maybe this is some of my trauma, right? But they're not. You mm-hmm. got to believe in yourself enough to demonstrate that you're not going anywhere. You know, and slowly but surely, you'll start to see things start to turn in your favor.
0: Yeah, I had one is... professor. He'll know who he is as well if he watches this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he told me once. Um, um, this is gonna sound weird and contrary. But he told me once, he said, You know, Miss Bradley, I'm trying really hard not to imitate him because that'll give it away. He said, You know, Miss Bradley, <laughs> um, there are some people, because I think you can see my frustration a little bit. In, our, in the architectural field, only 0.2% of licensed architects in this country are women of color. 0.2%, mm. wrap your head around on that. Two. So, <laughs> um, so I was fortunate to go to a Howard where all my classmates looked like me for the most part, but um, my professor looked at me and said, you know, some people will only see you, will only ever see you as a woman. And he might've said as a black woman, but I remember him saying as a woman. Some people will only ever see you as a woman. That's like, he said, use that. Use that. He said, people, basically that people will think you're not threatening That people will think I'm not going to compete with them they're so far out ahead of me that, you know, they can be lax. They can tell me everything. Oh, you don't need to do this and you need to do that. And you don't know what you're doing because if you did, you would be doing such and such, such and such and such and such. And so he was basically telling me disregard the, you don't know what you're doing part. Cause you know, that's not true. But when they tell you what you should be doing, oh, oh, what, what, what would I be doing if I was you? Oh, okay, you know, <laughs> and whatever, Whatever actually makes sense and sticks. When people throw out those gems, even if they think they're just, you know, throwing them out to whomever, grab them, grab them. Like learn from those folks. Um, and I, it was some good advice. You know, it was some good advice. I had people tell me sometimes flippantly, "Oh, why don't you just go ahead and do that?" It's like that's actually brilliant. That's brilliant. <laughs> and there's some folks who I, I feel I feel like they don't like me. They might have never have. But I followed some of their advice and things that they told me to do, you know? Well, if I was you, I would just do this. I don't know why you're doing it like that. It's like, you are right. And I did it and I flourished, <laughs> you know?
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Did it and I flourished, you know? So sometimes it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good to have people underestimate you. It doesn't have people feel good to have people act like you don't know what you're talking about. But sometimes folks will drop some real gems on the folks they underestimate or they'll be open with those people that they don't think are a threat in a way that they just won't with those that they think are. So take advantage, take advantage where you can. Um, Some folks that will like, I do have people in my life who were wonderful to me, who gave me great advice, who looked out for me, who were supportive. And I have some who really mentored me by accident and I'm still grateful
1: mentored me by accident i love that i love that (laughs) so listen there's two things we need to do um one i have one more question but we got to get a thought exercise out of you okay let's do it we got to get a thought exercise because we do thought exercises here, and they're my favorite parts. I can't let you leave without a thought exercise. But my last question is: What's the one lie that you're happy you didn't believe?
0: Mm. The one lie that I'm happy I didn't. Be- that I'm happy I didn't believe. I feel like there are a few. <laughs> um, I think that. No, I, man, I, I feel like I thought about this one hard when I thought because there are there are several, I feel like there are several one, I mean there are one, there are folks will always underestimate me. And I assume that they're wrong. Um I don't know, I've had people tell me, and this is professionally, personally, or otherwise, you can't always have what you want. You know what I mean? You can't, kind of. You can't have your cake and eat it too, kind of thing. Like you can't do both. You can't both be a someone who's doing meaningful work and expect to have a good standard of living. You can't um, expect, you know. I think that's probably one of the biggest ones. It's like, no. I feel like I can be good or can do good and be well. You know, so I, I reject the lie that I have to be a, some kind of martyr to do something that's incredible mm-hmm. for my community. I think that's Oof. ridiculous, and I tell people that all the time. And I, I had that one shattered for me, honestly, by a former coworker. Hi, Jordy. If you, I don't know where Jordy is. I don't even think Jordy's on Facebook. That's okay. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but back in the day, I, I was gonna um, I was going to go out and do some work in DC for free, because I thought it was good for the community. And I just wanted to be a yeah. volunteer. And he said, why don't yeah. you get paid for that? Why aren't you trying to be a TA instead of a volunteer? And I was like, because I'm just, I'm not doing it because I care about money. He said, but just because you're doing something good for somebody else doesn't mean that's not valuable and that it's Correct. not worthwhile to someone else. So I suppose when I come back to it, the lie that I reject is that time that you spend doing something for your community should not be of value to you. That Mm. time spent that you're investing in the well-being of other people is something that you shouldn't put a price tag on. And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you do that for money, but it's okay to value your time. It's okay to value your skills. It's okay to value your experience. Otherwise, you're always going to be throwing crumbs the crumbs of your time, the leftovers of your time, you know, the hours when you should be sleeping and eating to helping the Mm. community. When really, truthfully, isn't it the dream to do something that matters, that's meaningful, that's gainful, and also eat? (laughs) And also pay your rent, and also spend quality time with your family. Don't you want to do both of those things? so that's a lie. And I feel like it's one that a lot of people have internalized, you know?
1: Yeah, um, absolutely.
0: That Well, if my family, if my community is underserved in low I don't want to charge anyone for anything. It's like, find creative ways to do it. Find creative ways to do it, but always value your time. Always value your time.
1: Absolutely. Always value your time. That's a whole bar right there. That's so good. Oh, my goodness. You got me thinking now. Okay, listen, before I get off on another tangent, we got to do this thought exercise. I don't want to keep you on here too long. You know, I, I, I'll i just keep talking and talking. And so um, let's do a thought exercise.
0: Our thought exercise of the day. Oh. So...
1: So, so, do you need me to tell you about the thought exercises? Okay, oh, go ahead and explain. Okay, okay, so the thought exercise is just something personal that you do that helps you get through the day, right? Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's uh, a mantra you tell yourself or a certain book that you like to read or a poem you, you recite to yourself or maybe... Uh, yes, mother. Uh-oh. Sorry.
0: <laughs> <laughs> my mom's telling me she's keeping my food warm she still loves me
1: absolutely absolutely (laughs) um or 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 just something that you find really inspirational that helps you get through those days where you're just like man this is a lot you feeling stretched you know what what's something that you do what's give us a thought exercise that can help us get through that
0: sure so if it's okay i might throw out more than one one is um prayer helps you know recentering yourself helps uh, so if you're having those stressful moments, if you need to meditate, if you need to breathe, if you need to get outside, if you have uh, a God that you talk to, take that time. You know, a lot of times like prayer is usually the last thing I do after I exhaust everything else. And it's just like, why well, wasn't this the first? So re- recenter yourself. Um, a second that I do personally is I try to challenge my own negative thoughts. You know, cause in spite of, the incredible environment I grew up in. There's still those voices that tell me, oh you can't. How dare you? Who do you think you are to such and such you know, and these these inevitable questions that fly through your head of, what if I fail? What if it doesn't work? What if I'm embarrassed? You know, etc, etc. So I have projects. My friend Nahaya told me at one point, she's like, you're like that person who plans these really elaborate birthday parties and then you like forget to invite people. But I don't invite people because I'm afraid that it won't be successful. You know, I'm not sure because I'm not, I haven't done it yet. You know, it's not done, it's not complete. And, and so um, I've started asking myself the questions, you know, cause the questions are gonna come in your mind of what if I fail? And I've started asking my, whatever that voice is. What if it goes great though? What if this is incredible? What if I knock it out the park? you know, ask yourself the other thing. And then you can give yourself some balance. Um, if you're a writer, if you have journals, i recommend writing because same things in black and white can give you a whole different perspective and stop it from looping the negative looping in your mind. Um, but the third that I do, and this is more of a periodic thing, like maybe a once a month, once a quarter, is I make something I call the fear list, you know, the top 10 things I'm afraid to do at that given moment. What am I putting off? What have I not done? Who have I not called? You know, what am I not doing because I'm afraid to do it? What am I not doing? So I make a list, I usually type it out, the fear list. You know, I'm afraid of this, 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 and this. And then I challenge myself to go do it. Because I feel like whatever those things are that you're most afraid of are usually the things that are in the way of you making the type of progress that you'd like to see with your own life. So that list is essentially me asking myself, asking Raina, if I was not afraid, what would I be doing right now? If I had no fear, no doubt of myself, no doubt of the outcome, if I knew I couldn't fail, what would I be doing right now? And I write it out, I stick it to the back of my bedroom door so I see it when I wake up. Um, And I challenge myself to do those things, you know? Um, So I recommend doing that. Assuming, you know, I tell my students this, I tell some of my adult friends, because, well, I'm afraid, Reyna, you know, you're not afraid. It's like, I'm afraid, I just do it anyway. I do it scared. Cause I have to ask myself with the assumption that I will never not be afraid because oftentimes you don't get less afraid, <laughs> you know, it just festers. And then you kind of push it under the rug and try to forget about it. Assuming you'll never not be afraid, friend, whoever you are listening to this, assuming you'll mm. never not be afraid. How long are you going to wait? How long are you going to keep sitting on it?
1: Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. And that Listen, is your thought, so many your things. Of
0: the
1: day. <laughs> Listen, we got our hands full with that one. Listen, you said so many things that are deeply profound. Um thank you for that. That's a lot to unpack. Your fear list. How long are you going to wait? Because you're never going to get any less scared. Mm-mm-mm. That's a, that's, oh my goodness. Thank you so much. Thank Absolute. you so, 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 so much. That is really, that's going to give me a lot to think about. Um, because we all have those things, right? Uh, and then you said, I'm always afraid. I just do it anyway." I resonate with that deeply, because anytime you you desire to be more, it's gonna take you to unfamiliar places.
0: Absolutely. Yeah,
1: that's that's, wow, Reyna, thank you so. Much.
0: Thank you, Kipway.
1: Thank you so much. How can people find you, contact you, tell you that they are in awe of your genius oh. and your light and wisdom? How can we get a hold of you?
0: Uh, well, folks can find me on LinkedIn. I do actually respond <laughs> to my LinkedIn <laughs> inbox. Um, my name on Facebook is just my name. Um, there is an accent on the E in my name, so I'm that Raina. And uh, <laughs> on Instagram, I don't post much, but I'll, I'll see messages there as well. Um, or if folks wanna come by Bridget Grace and check out what we're doing, um, I'm always happy to give tours, walking around our playgrounds, show you what the neighborhood used to look like uh, and our vision for the future. So come on out.
1: I love it. Thank you so much for being here. You all do me a favor. Go find Raina on LinkedIn, on Facebook, on Instagram and tell her. Thank you. Matter of fact, while you're listening to this, put five stars in the review and write in. Thank you, Raina, because I just feel so challenged in a good way. Um, from that thought exercise, from this interview, and the bravery that you continue to exude uh, in the way that you go about your life and spending your gifts with all of us. And I, I just really appreciate it. So thank you so much. Thank you, friend. Yes, yes. So you all, again, go find Raina. Um, share this podcast, or th- this video, or the podcast with somebody who you care about. You can tag them in the comments. Or you can just write out your fear list because that do that is what you really need to do okay all right listen y'all we will talk to you all super soon in another episode of empower you podcast thank you so much for being here i'll talk to you later peace The You podcast is devoted to bringing real-world wisdom and encouragement to our listeners. We discuss a multitude of life principles and the process from an economic, cultural, and societal perspective. We believe that through tough conversations and shared wisdom, we can pave the path and leave a ladder for the future. Subscribe to our channel and let us empower you.